listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. The uh, very first house my wife and I bought was in this place called Rock City, uh, Illinois, and uh, we had been looking for several months, and then we finally found uh, one about three miles from the church that we were at, and uh, it was a perfect house for us, but it also wasn't a new house. I believe it was built in like 1917, and if you went down into the creepy basement, uh, like the original uh, owners had written their names in cursive in the foundation. But it was our house, a place to call home, and as with any home, uh, there's updates and repairs that are needed, and since there was really only one bathroom in the house, like we wanted to make that a, a decent bathroom. And so I was given the job as the husband of replacing the bathroom faucet. Seemed simple enough, or so I thought. Truth was, I had no idea what I was uh, doing with that. I could barely uh, remove the existing faucet. I could barely fit um, my ever-increasing large body under the sink, and I could barely remove the, the rusty water line. And so after several hours, don't make fun of me, um, but after several hours, the job was complete. I just needed to turn the water on and then show uh, my wife. And as I turned the water on, I could immediately hear water dripping. Something was wrong. Um, I thought I had done everything right, and yet there was, there was a leak in the, the drain. So I tightened everything up again. It still leaked. Uh, I read over the instruction manual and adjusted. It still leaked. I watched uh, several YouTube videos. It still leaked. So there was only one answer left, and that answer was for me to jam as much plumber's putty as I could under the sink until it stopped. So that's what I did. It, it sort of looks like a, a third grader's art project, but it finally stopped, at least for a while. We sold that house to a plumber uh, in our church. Uh, I never told him about that, so he might be finding out about this now if he listens to this. Um, in reality, like my life would have been a lot easier if I just called him and asked for help. The church had plenty of plumbers that would have been happy to help with that. They obviously would have known what to do, but in my pride, and in my arrogance, I thought I could do it myself. I, I wanted to do it my, by myself, and I made a mess along the way. And, and sadly, it, it's not just the little things in life. We often find ourselves in places where we need serious help. We need answers and help that are beyond uh, what we possess. And sadly, in our pride and in our arrogance, we want to fix it ourselves. Like, we believe the lie that we don't need anyone else. That we can deal with our own troubles. And here's the promise to you, uh, I'd say to myself, is we can't. We, um, we're not designed to deal with trouble by ourselves. Designed to deal with troubles in this life by looking to Christ and surrounding ourselves with, with godly people that will help us. That is Psalm 20. This is a royal psalm of prayer from David and the people of Israel in the day of trouble. 
It is a prayer to remind us that we will not find victory in our mess by keeping our mess to ourselves. It is a prayer to remind us that we will find victory in our mess by looking to King Jesus and then being honest with those that are around us. This is uh, the promised victory. As mentioned several times, we'll be in Psalm 20 today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. Uh, if you didn't bring anything, it's all in the bulletin for you on the back. But before we read through the text and talk uh, about the text, let's pray together. God, we uh, come before you, and um, God, I pray that we would just see our need for you, God, that you would take away whatever deep-seated generational pride we have in us to think that we can take care of things on our own. God, that there is no sin in our life that is healed or uh, addressed, Father, that, that stays in the dark. And God, knowing that as I teach this, this message this morning, that, that all of us um, have or maybe even currently are experiencing a day of trouble, where life is just not how they thought it would turn out. So I, I pray for encouragement for us. God, give us understanding as we walk through uh, Psalm 20, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 20, it says this. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. May he grant you your, your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. In the name of our God, set up banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. So, yeah, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O oh, Lord, save the king. And may he answer us when we call. In verse 1, we find uh, the context of this psalm. There is a tension among King David and his enemies, more than likely those that oppose him within the nation and those that oppose him in the surrounding pagan nations. So what we find here is a prayer of a blessing and of promise in the day of trouble. That is the question that will answer from this psalm and in your notes, where will you turn in the day of trouble? Even as I speak those words to you, it is hitting all of us uh, in two different ways. Some of us are in a day of trouble right now, where life is heavy right now. We are battling sickness. We are battling 
the death of loved ones, we are battling failed relationships, we are battling financial turmoil, we are battling uh, workplace drama, we are battling wayward children, we are even battling the impact of our own sins. When I say the day of trouble, some of us think, yeah, that one's for me. And if that's you, I hope Psalm 20 encourages you in this dark season. And then on the flip side, some of us hear the day of trouble and think, nope, like not right now, life, life is actually pretty great. And if that's you, I hope Psalm 20 challenges you to prepare now for dark seasons. Because, yeah, like good seasons should be enjoyed seasons, but good seasons should also be preparation seasons for when life isn't so good. Or simply, like the Bible is not teaching us how to prosper as much as the Bible is teaching us how to suffer. That's Psalm 20, where, where will we turn in the day of trouble? Let me give you three responses to that question from the text in the form of three more questions. So this will be different, a little bit different than the normal format that I go through. Uh, here's the first question. Will you look for help in all of the wrong places? When your day of trouble comes, because it has either arrived or it is coming, where will you look? There are men and women that look for help in all of the wrong places. And I'll confess, it's not just other people. You hear that and you're like, yeah, that's someone in my family. They're doing that. No, we all struggle like this. We all struggle in our own way. Maybe it's the constant abuse of alcohol. Maybe it's shopping to get a little dopamine hit. Maybe it's self-help books and articles. Maybe it's this never-ending scroll of TikTok. Maybe it's the escape from sport of sports. Maybe it's even church life where you serve others so you don't have to deal with your own issues. But the truth is evident that we all, all of us tend to look for help in all the wrong places. And verses 1 through 3 are a reminder of where the children of God should look. It's this, this prayer of blessing on those in troubled times. It's a prayer that reminds us where our help really comes from. I'll walk through it in the text. It is the Lord that answers prayers. And not just Lord, but Yahweh. And not just Yahweh, He is the I Am. That's the true meaning of verse 1. So He is I Am, the great I Am. Am hears our prayers. It's the God of Jacob that protects. Not some uh, distant and, and careless God. It's, it's the God of the people, of his people. The God of Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Jacob. The God who knows all the things that you wrestle with, even if you may not share it with other people. The God that knows your past and your present and your future. The God of Jacob will hear your prayers in times of trouble. It is he who sends help from the sanctuary and support from Zion. That's not some like metaphorical dwelling. The sanctuary that is mentioned in verse 2 is a holy and separated reality. It's the place of the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem that we looked at last week in Psalm 15. It is support that is descending from Zion, simply meaning like God is not sending help from one busted up world to another busted up world. God in his 
holiness and in his holy dwelling is sending help and support into our messy situation. So the world around us, it is clear, is lying to themselves. The, the world is preaching a gospel of self-improvement. That we can fix all of our problems by, by just adjusting the exterior. Like if we just had the right government, if we just had the right laws, if we just had the right schools, if we just had the right economy. So yeah, improving the exterior will make the exterior look nice. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with that sometimes, but improving the exterior will never fix the interior. Meaning like we need a kind of help that cannot be offered by elected officials that legislate laws. Like we need a help that is beyond what some Christian pep talk can offer. We need a help that is beyond what drugs tend to numb in our mind. We need Christ. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift my eyes, up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Where does your help come from? I mean, that's not, that's not a rhetorical question. That's for you to answer, to stop right now and to answer that for yourself. Where does your help come from? There's a lot of people inside and outside of the church that are looking in all the wrong places. And my job as a preacher is not to fix you. Although I'm sure, I mean, y'all call me up sometimes and want that, or you're like, hey, fix my spouse, or fix my friend, or fix my family member. My job is not to fix you, because the Lord knows I have my own issues. My job as a preacher is to force our face into the Word so we can force our eyes to the Lord. Our help doesn't come from a preacher, or a spiritual leader, or a government official, or the things of this world. Our help comes from the Lord. Where will you turn in the day of trouble? Look at verse Three, may he remember our offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah, or rest, or meditate, or consider. Now, obviously, we're not giving uh, the same uh, sacrificial offerings like those in Israel. Like, we're not bringing the grain offering to the temple, and we're not bringing a sheep for the peace offering. The idea of verse 3 is not that we can put God into our debt by our sacrificial behavior, no, this is a plea that the Lord may show us favor if we have, as we have sought out his favor. I mean, that's literally where verse 4 drives us to, that the Lord shows us favor in our troubled times because we have been faithful to seek out his favor. Verse 4, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Let me put it like this. Um, those in troubled times and in troubled days will not find favor from God by seeking the empty desires of their heart. So let me give you the second question. That's the obvious one. Will you seek, will you seek the empty desires of your heart? 
whether you're walking into the storm or you're right in the middle of one, will you seek the empty desires of your heart or will you seek favor of the Lord, from the Lord? Like, don't expect favor from the Lord if you don't favor the Lord. Let me give you Psalm 37. I think I'll give some context. Verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Meaning that as we delight in the Lord, we begin to desire what he desires. And I'll say this carefully. It's very likely that some of your prayers are not being answered because you don't delight in the Lord. You delight in your own empty desires, and then you just pray that the Lord would bless those desires. So if you find yourself in the day of trouble, the prayer becomes, Lord, grant me the desires of my heart because I'm submitting to your desires. And Lord, like fulfill all my plans because I'm submitting my life to your plans. What does that look like? We'll see what it looks like for Israel in verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation, King David. I mean, may, may we set up banners in victory in the name of our God. Meaning the desire of the heart and the hopeful plan was always twofold in the text. It is salvation and glorifying God. That is our heart's desire in the day of trouble. Not that everything in life would automatically be easy. Not that like all your problems would just go away. No, our heart's desire is to see salvation through this suffering. Our plan is to see God glorified in his plan. Let me, let me stop using churchy language for a minute. What, does that look, what, what could that look like? When your body is riddled with cancer... Pray, Lord, use this suffering to bring about salvation in me and those around me. And Lord, my plan is for you to be glorified in my life or even in my death. When you're surrounded by people that, I mean, maybe they even say they're Christians, but they really just don't want anything to do with God, the prayer becomes, Lord, use this opportunity to bring about salvation in my family and among my friends. And Lord, my plan is for you to be glorified in whatever situation I find myself in. Do not turn to the empty desires of your heart. Turn to the Lord and his desire for salvation and his plan to glorify. I mean, listen to the prayer of Jesus in John 12, starting in verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Like, Father, save me this hour, but, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Turn and seek the desires and plans of the Lord. Where will you turn in the day of trouble? Verses 6 through 7 of our text, my favorite verses of this chapter. David says, now I know. Now I know 
that the Lord saves his anointed, that he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Do you see the, the exchange of language in the text? Verses 1 through 5 are a hopeful response for troubled times. I'll just go through them. May the Lord answer. May he send. May he remember. May he grant. May we shout. May the Lord fulfill. But then when we get to verse 6, the language changes to a matter of certainty. I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven. He will save with the might of his right hand, which is why David writes verse 7 with so much passion and clarity. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Which is the last question for us today. Here's question three. Will, will you trust in things that don't last? This idea of horses and chariots are rooted um, in this idea of warfare, specifically the amount of chariots and horses of the Egyptian army as the Israelites fled from captivity. It's this sense of, of power and safety and protection because of how large their army was. In reality, it's a temporary and false security and things that just don't last. And if the Exodus story, as the Exodus story proved, Egypt learned that the hard way. This is Isaiah 31.1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they, they don't look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Some trust in their job some in their bank account. Some trust in their physical health. Some in their skill set. Some trust in their homes and some in their cars. Some trust in their ideas. Some trust in their past success. And the pleading of the text is for Christians to look to the word and live differently. In a world that is trying to find peace, and security by trusting in everything this world has to offer, we must choose to live differently. This is Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you want perfect peace in the day of trouble? I mean, if you don't, I mean, <laughs> that, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, when life is heavy, do you want perfect peace? As the text says, it's keep your mind on the Lord because you trust in the Lord. Yeah, some of your friends and some of your family members and some of your coworkers, are, they're just going to trust in money. And they're going to they're gonna trust in power and they're going to trust in, in climbing whatever ridiculous corporate ladder you've got at your workplace. But we're not going to live like that. We're not going to think like that. We're not going to talk like that. We're going to trust in the Lord. Because those that have built their life on temporary things, as verse 8 of our text reminds us, well, they're, they're like a house of cards that just collapses and, and falls around them. It, it will only be those that trust in the Lord that will rise victorious. Look at 
Proverbs 21, 31. The horse is made ready for the battle, the day of the battle. But the victory belongs to the Lord. I shared this before, but uh, my son, he, he finished his, his second year of, of baseball in rec league. And at this age, they're really not playing nine inning, innings. Um, praise the Lord, I wouldn't want to sit through that. But um, they, play, they play an hour or six innings, whatever comes first. And there's a few games during the season that ended uh, at the bottom of the six, but there was still plenty of time left to play. So the coaches would gather together at the mound and decide what they wanted to do. And a few of the games, uh, we would play one or even two extra innings of baseball for practice, meaning that we could play more baseball and know that we've locked in the win. It's a pretty sweet deal. And yet, that's our reality as followers of Christ. Think of David writing verse 6. Now I know, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. But how much more can we say, verse 6, in light of what Christ has done? This is a psalm that the Lord would give King David and the people of Israel uh, victory over the enemy. But the reign of King David was meant to point us to the reign of King Jesus. Because now we know. Yeah, now we know. The Lord has given us victory over the enemy through Jesus. That is simply the summary point. Look to King Jesus who has promised victory. And it might be late into the game. I get it. Um, and I, I realize people have uh, been saying that for like 2,000 years, but when... We look around us, it certainly feels like it's late in the game. And you might be exhausted, and you might be burdened by the things in you, and those things that are around you, and you might be right in the middle of the day of trouble, and yet we look to King Jesus, who has promised victory over sin and death. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord and your Lord, your labor uh, is not in vain. And I'm telling myself this just as much as I'm telling you. Don't look for help in wrong places. Don't, don't seek empty desires in your heart. Don't trust in things that don't last. It's, it's a promised battle. I mean, no one promised it was going to be easy. But that's why we look to King Jesus, who has the promised victory. And if you want to talk about anything after the message, make a commitment to follow Christ or join the church. I'd love to talk with you. But, um, let's pray and then we'll sing. Uh, close.